our passage this morning that Terry's brought to us. And thanks for that, Terry. And thanks for all the work that you do coordinating the readers throughout the year. It's, it's really appreciated. Um, it, it's a new beginning, isn't it? In those words. It's a new beginning. And maybe you've had a new beginning. We've all had that new beginning of the new year a week ago. A new calendar, a new diary, a new swipe of the finger across onto the next bit on the screen. But maybe we've had other new beginnings. Maybe we've had a new year resolution. A change you want to bring in your life. A change that might improve your life or make others' lives better in some way. But maybe your new beginning is something different from that. A change in your employment, in a relationship, in your health. Maybe you welcome that change. It's something that's great. And then again, maybe that difference is jarring and painful, maybe even physically painful. Because change quite often is. And it alters who we are and who we, how we think about things. Throughout the Bible, from the first verses, speaking of the Spirit, the spirit hovering over the chaos before creation in Genesis, to the new heaven and the new earth in the book of Revelation, we have a series, a huge series, of new beginnings. And some are human in origin, and they don't always work out great. But those events inspired or nurtured, brought forth by God, are good because of the nature of God who is kind and compassionate and full of love for all. It's fair to say that the path with God is not always smooth. It's not always free of distress along the way. There might be pain. There might be immense suffering. But ultimately, ultimately we have a hope. And we know that ultimately it is good and positive when we journey with God. That God's plans are good and positive. We see that there are difficulties along the way, even in the life of Jesus. From Herod trying to kill him as an infant, causing the Holy Family to flee to be refugees, to his weeping along with Mary and Martha, the sisters outside their brother's tomb. And then the emotions stirred within, causing him to turn over the tables of the money changers. 
And of course, the suffering and the pain of the passion and the cross. Yet through his life and death and resurrection, we have a new beginning offered to us, forgiveness and eternity with God. And it is there for those who accept the Christ as their Lord. In Linfield, we live 2,000 years later and 2,000 miles away from the Holy Land. Our culture is far removed. And yet, we know the hope we can have because of Jesus' earthly ministry. At the end of this gospel that we're reading this year, in Matthew 28, Jesus tells the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. So his final teachings on earth still in some way connect with that bit at the start of his earthly ministry and give that instruction to share their hope, the instruction to bring a sacrament that Jesus himself received. And that's been passed on and passed on around the globe and among the people. And it's what brings us gathered together as God's people today. Now, the baptism of the believer is a bit different from that of John and the crowds that were gathering before him, bringing and bringing their um, their old way and receiving a sign of repentance. And we thought of this act, we thought of this episode just a couple of months back when in October we read and reflected on Luke's account of the baptism of Jesus. But we come to it again because it's one of those few things that happen in all four Gospels. Not all Gospels have a nativity story of the wilderness temptations that follow on from this. The Lord's prayer isn't in two of the Gospels. The only miracle that appears in all four is the feeding of the 5,000. Even the event in our passage today, the baptism, is recorded slightly differently in John when he gives more of uh, the Baptists remembering what had happened. Not the event itself, but a bringing back to mind of John the Baptist telling others of saying, I saw the dove descend. And how it rested on Jesus. 
the dove is recognized as a symbol of peace. Not simply because of the, the, the purity of its white plumage, but it's tied in with that story of Noah, isn't it, in the flood. In Genesis 8, verse 11, we, we hear that after the rain, a dove is sent out and returns with an olive leaf that it's taken from a tree, giving hope that the waters are receding, and that there's this new beginning for humanity. In culture, the, the bird is often depicted with more than one leaf, isn't it? You might talk of offering an olive branch and thinking of an olive branch in the dove's mouth. Even our church logo up there in the top left corner, yay, if I go like that, almost appears, has a little bit more than a leaf in the mouth. But obviously the real bird can only pluck and carry a leaf. The branch idea is more related to ancient Greek tradition and mythology inspiring the early Christian artists, bringing that story together of peace in Greek times and hope and peace that we see coming from God. On from Genesis, the dove in Hebrew scripture becomes in Leviticus an offering that is to be brought to the temple, a gift to God for atonement in a time of cleansing and renewal, a time of new beginning, a time of repentance. Perhaps a different sign that there is to be peace between humanity and God. And then we have another dove in the scriptures who also brings a message of new beginning, a message of righteous change. But we quite often don't think of this as a story of a dove. Because this dove is not so peaceful of heart. Dove is the translation of the name Jonah. The prophet who spends three days in the belly of the big fish and is then spat out onto the shore, having turned to God, goes to the city of Nineveh. And the dove brings a message to repent. When the king and citizens of Nineveh do so with their heart, they are spared. They are saved. And so the dove was a sign and a messenger in that story of God's way, God's way of peace and future. Jonah doesn't quite get all that about the hopefulness. The fourth chapter is really great in Jonah. He has to waken up a little bit. And sometimes we are like that. We might tell a story, but then we have to remember what the story says and live it out in our life to have that new beginning for ourselves. And that brings us back to John the Baptist at the shore of the Jordan with his message of repentance and new change that is required in the hearts of the people. 
and among them, Jesus steps forward humbly. And we see an example of how we are to come before God. Jesus himself had done no wrong. He doesn't have anything to repent of. In that way, his baptism is a little different from everyone else who comes to John and is immersed in the water for repentance. But still, maybe it's not so different. For here, Jesus offers himself to the Father to go God's way and receives a baptism of righteousness, of realignment to the path that is supposed to go. This is a conscious decision of Jesus. He's done nothing wrong. He could have chosen to remain in Galilee, not approach his cousin at the Jordan. It would have likewise been within the ability of Jesus to have walked away at the river's edge. Three years later, we see him agonizing with the way ahead in Gethsemane, where again he could escape. And on the cross, we hear the taunts, you saved others. Save yourself. He could have. But he chose to humbly save others. He chose to enable our lives to be saved, not by walking away, but in that humble step forward. His ministry begins with the way that his earthly ministry will end. Being humble and stepping forward. It's not the vision of the dove or the voice from above that makes Jesus the Son of God. John recognized him before this. You know, he's not the one. I need you. I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me. That's what the Baptist says. John knows who he is before that dove descends. He knew who he was 30 years ago, while still in their mother's wombs. Luke tells us that the child in Elizabeth leapt for joy in the presence of the pregnant Mary, whose not yet born infant had been conceived by the Holy Spirit. The divine presence was in Jesus before birth, and isn't brought by the anointing of the dove. And that truth is shared with the infant Jesus, shared by Simeon and by Anna. When the 40-day-old infant, along with a pair of doves, is brought to the Jerusalem temple for consecration, their prophetic words recognize the babe in arms as the one long promised who would bring redemption for God's people. They recognized that God was doing something new, that he was bringing a new beginning, a new hope. So at the Jordan, 
Jesus humbly steps forward for the new thing, the thing that is his years of ministry that are about to begin. But where are we stepping forward? Not to be a different person, but to be realigned with God, to make that declaration, to know that we are doing the right thing. Where are we in that? May you feel the presence of God's Spirit coming to you and alighting on you. And if you're going through a time of change that is causing you torment, maybe physical pain or emotional distress, may you also have that sense of a dove being with you. And the peace that comes by God's Spirit. Because the Lord can lift you in that situation. And reveal that even in the distress, there is new life.